Welcome to Short Course, episode 13, for April 27th, 2018. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I didn't grow up around guns, and so when I went to my first IDPA match, I really didn't know what to expect because I'd, I'd never actually seen a gun shot in person before. But I had a friend who thought that it would be up my alley, and sure enough, it was. And so I showed up to this match, and I just, it was it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And at the time, being 20 years old, I didn't, I'd never shot a gun before. I didn't own any guns. I didn't even know how you bought a gun. Now, I don't know, ironically, this match happened at a range attached to a gun store, but I just assumed that there was, you know, a a rigorous process to, to buy a gun. And in, in North Carolina, there is, you have to, you know, have some kind of permit to purchase any kind of handgun, just still true to this day. But I just, I had showed up to this match and I just saw, I saw the, the competition. I saw the, the element of balancing speed and accuracy and, and not just punching holes in paper. And, and it just immediately grabbed me. But like I said, I, I didn't know how to get started. I didn't know how to shoot. I didn't know how to learn to shoot. I knew better than to just go buy a gun. I knew that I had no idea what I was doing with it. But every match I showed up to, I learned a little bit more. They had a safety brief every time. I started to learn the rules, and I started to see how people shot the game. And eventually, someone let me borrow a, a 1911 that apparently was all they had. They didn't have a 9mm nine, a nine to, to lend me, so I got to shoot a, a 45 cal 1911 borrowed with a couple of boxes of reloads at, at my first match, which was only the third time ever that I'd even pulled the trigger on a gun live fire, but... I'd seen enough matches. I knew, you know, about the 180 and and how to be safe and finger off the trigger and all that. And so, you know, from the very beginning, I've never really had that much interest in in guns outside of competition. They've always been something interesting insofar as they let you do something or, or, or a way to get better. Now, you know, being in the IDPA community and talking to, to everyone there, pretty early on the idea of concealed carry and the importance of being able to defend yourself was drilled in because you know these guys were they 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 took IDPA pretty seriously and they still do and so I you know I got my concealed carry permit and I got a carry gun you know I I never really seriously considered carrying the, the Glock 17 not concealed and I just I shot matches and eventually I got a little bit of training and that you know unlocked things because for some reason the idea of just you know going to the range and just practicing just just punching holes in paper. It just it never it never was interesting to me. But by going to matches and learning from everyone, you know, even the ones that I didn't shoot when when I didn't even own a gun yet, every time I went, I felt like I learned something and got a little bit better. And that has has honestly really never ceased. Now that's not to say that I was at all good in the beginning. I I shot my first IDPA classifier in 2010 with that Glock 17, that first gun that that I bought. And I, I didn't even classify marksmen. You know, they, they had to mark the little box for novice because I, I just, I had no idea what I was doing and, you know, just kind of shot it without any idea of, I, I don't think I'd ever shot a target at 20 yards before that. You know, all the matches that I'd shot were at this small indoor range and they had to stretch the distance all the way out just to get 20 yards in, in this range. And so, you know, that was a new experience and it went poorly, but didn't really stop me. I was like, yeah, that, that seems like an accurate assessment of of my current skill level but you know even from the very beginning you know not even making marksman and idpa i just i never had any thought of doing anything but just 
trying to get better and figuring out what I was doing wrong and just shooting more matches and learning how to get better at that, you know, having some kind of system to which I could measure improvement. I graduated from college in 2011. And at that point, you know, I had a full-time job. I was still kind of living like a college student. I was like, okay, I'm going to get serious. I'm going to, I'm going to really, you know, start shooting for real, which, you know, looking back on it was, I don't know, it felt like I'd been in the sport for so long, but it was maybe a year and a half. But, you know, I felt like it had become this, this regular event. At the time, I was just going to this one monthly IDPA match every month. And so, you know, I, I, I finally, I gave up my, my colored shirt that I'd been using as a concealment garment. And I, I bought a real IDPA vest. And at the time, I, I was actually shooting IDPA with, with my carry gun, which was an MP 9C that I also still have and still carry regularly. Because it just, it, it was nicer. It had slightly better sights. It was stippled. The trigger was, you know, had actually been worked on by gunsmith. So it's it's pretty nice. Not Not terribly light, but very smooth and crisp. And so I felt like I could shoot better with it. You know, at the time, the Glock was still, aside from a set of night sights, completely stock. And so fall of, of 2011, I shot my first IDPA major match where I, I managed to come in second marksman and beat enough other marksmen and a couple sharpshooters that was enough to get a match bump to sharpshooter, which I was, I, I was pretty proud of that at the time. Uh, at, you know, at the time, I, I really was bought into the idea that, you know, the classifier was this this abstract thing that didn't really represent true skill and in that, you know, shooting matches really represented the whole sport. And, and so the, you know, the, the best, the truest way to get, to get a classification increase was through a match, you know, in a match bump and in IDPA, that's, that's certainly more feasible, certainly before the new policy about being more generous in USPSA with, with some of the match bumps, you know, it used to be classifiers were the only way to go up. I, you know, I, I started branching out shooting, one other club match, but, you know, I'd shoot like two IDPA matches a month. Didn't really dry fire, didn't live, didn't have any live fire outside of matches. We, you know, I would shoot maybe two, 3,000 rounds a year and 100% of that would be at matches. I, I wasn't a member at the range. I didn't know where you got a range membership. And I felt like every time I shot a match, I got a little bit better. And so, you know, what, what what better way to get better at shooting matches than to shoot a lot of matches? It just, you know, at the time, I, I, I didn't know any better. Um, this is going to sound like a dig at IDPA, but it isn't. It's just a statement of fact. Nobody at the matches that I went to practiced seriously and talked about, you know, dry fire or live fire or, you know, going out and, and actually practicing skills outside of a match context. And so, you know, I was in this bubble that, that you know, you just shoot a lot of matches and you slowly get better you have fun and and i just that that was just where i was at for a while in the summer of 2012 so the the year after i'd shot my first major match i shot my second major match which was the carolina cup which used to be a, a really prestigious idpa match around here in north carolina it was it was kind of, it was like the unofficial third nationals it was a tough match well attended interesting stages challenging stages some really unique pneumatic powered movers that I've never seen in any other matches. You know, it was just really known as a as a great match and it just happened to be 45 minutes from my house. So signed up, shot the match, and DQ'd on the reload on the last stage. Uh, I was just shooting right at the 180, went to slide lock when I wasn't planning to and just pulled that gun in, broke the 180 and, and both the ROs stopped me. But what was interesting to me at the time was okay, I'd shot 15 of the 16 stages. 
So if I drop the 16th stage, the one that I DQ'd on, you know, I have all my carbon copy score sheets from all the others. You know, if I had finished the match and we dropped the one stage I didn't have a score on, would I have match bumped to expert? And the answer was yes. And so I allowed myself to shoot an expert classifier. In retrospect, I realized that I got very lucky that, that I probably could not, you know, shoot a classifier at expert level. Again, because I didn't practice at 20 yards. The matches didn't really feature a lot of 20-yard shooting. And at least in the old 90-round IDPA classifier, 20-yard shooting was 20% of the shots in the classifier. So you really needed to have that level of accuracy. And I, I, I didn't. I'm fairly sure I didn't. But managed to squeak in, get an expert classifier. And that was actually my goal because, again, it's you know strange coincidence. But in 2012, that same range in Oxford hosted the IDPA Nationals. And somehow I managed to get a slot. I, I put in for it and I didn't have like all the points and everything, but I ended up getting approved and shot that match. And, and honestly, you know, after the, the whole Carolina cup debacle, that, that one was really kind of anticlimactic. I, I did fine, you know, middle of the pack and expert, which is exactly where I should have been, but you know, I wasn't beating down the door of master. And so I, I really didn't know what to do after that. As it happened, I, had shot a couple IDPA matches with some people who shot the other sport, this USPSA sport. And, you know, they always shot really fast, but they dropped a lot of points and they didn't really seem to take this, this IDPA match, which I took pretty seriously at the time. They didn't really seem to take it all that seriously, which kind of irked me, but you know, not really knowing what else to do. I, so I actually did two things around the same time. I bought a 1911 uh, because at the time I was still shooting my, my Glock 17, which I had raced out with an extended mag release and an extended slide stop and a some kind of ghost connector, I think. So, you know, clearly like pushing the boundaries of what's legal in IDPA. And it had become a little bit normal. I didn't, honestly, it didn't make that much of a difference in my shooting. If anything, I ended up taking the extended slide stop off because the gun stopped locking back because I would hold it down when, when the magazine was empty. And so that's that actually gets really inconvenient in IDPA. So that that lasted a couple matches and then went by the wayside because it was solving a problem that I didn't really have. Like I didn't have any problem hitting the slide release on that gun, but I was starting to look for gear advantages and try and tweak my my guns to get that advantage. And it just yeah, it didn't really make all that much difference. The connector probably helped a little bit, but the other stuff, I, it's not like I was having trouble reaching the controls on the Glock anyway. But I was just kind of curious, and so I decided to buy a 1911. You know, I hadn't actually shot one in a couple of years ever since that, that first match. And so I was just, you know, curious. I, they, especially in, in IDPA, there was a bit of a mystique around the guns. You know, they were sort of seen as the, the pinnacle of, of precision shooting machinery. And to a certain degree, they, you know, they still are. The, the guns that get the most time and money and effort put into them these days in terms of handguns are still 2011, 1911 pattern guns. And so I was just intrigued. And so I, I bought a 1911 and I started shooting CDP and I branched out into USPSA because, you know, I didn't know what else to do. I, I'd kind of plateaued. I'd gone as far as I thought I could go with this Glock. The, I didn't, I wasn't practicing, so I wasn't getting any better. And so I had to go chase novelty because mastery was escaping me because I wasn't, I wasn't practicing. I was just shooting matches, but starting in the, the new sport, getting the new gun that, that injected, I mean, honestly, it was, it was enough novelty that I, I really didn't do much else interesting 
the entire year 2013. You know, I shot the the Carolina Cup in the summer in SSP and kind of had the the 1911 was kind of my off season gun. You know, I think I shot it the the winter of 2012 and then the winter of 2013 just to to break up the monotony. You know, I wasn't I still really wasn't dry firing regularly. I had no live fire practice, and so I wasn't in a place to to really get better. And so the only way to keep the shooting sports interesting, this wasn't conscious at the time, but looking back at it, I, I realized that this is what I was doing was, you know, change guns, change sports, try and do both and become proficient at both. And so you kind of have an excuse to not really be great at either. And, you know, I enjoyed shooting my 1911. I eventually, I think I classified in single stack first and then production, but both, both of them, my initial USPSA classification was C class, which... I mean, honestly, again, not ever having dry fire draws or reloads was about right. But so 2013, yeah, I, I mean, I shot the 1911. I bought an MMP Pro because, you know, if I'm going to try and game it out, I might as well have a five inch gun instead of shooting the Glock 17. And I kind of liked how it fit my hand better and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it really didn't make a difference. It was It was just another gun, but I liked it. It was new. It kept me interested. 2013 was the year that I shot my first USPSA level two, which conveniently enough was the state match at my home club. You could call it the the one USPSA match that I shot every month happened to host instead of their six stage club match, they'd host a nine stage state match. And so I shot that and that was, that was interesting, kind of got me looking at larger competition in, in USPSA. And so in 2014, being a USPSA member, I got the email that said, hey, if you want to work the Nationals, you know, here's the travel package. We'll put you up at a hotel and you get to shoot the match and then work. And I was like, oh, this seems this seems too good to be true. And so took him up on the offer, worked the 2014 Nationals, which I mean, so we got to shoot it in three days and then worked the next four days for, for all the paying shooters. And at the time I was production B class didn't really prepare, didn't practice, and really didn't have any idea what to what to expect. And so showed up, shot the match, had a pretty forgettable performance, but had the opportunity to work with on the on a stage with Carl Schmidt, who's one of the range master instructors, and got a four day hands on clinic in running a stage, running shooters, handling DQs. I mean, the, the whole deal, the whole Nationals experience. I, I mean, it still blows my mind that I was this brand new, freshly certified, you know, two, three months ago, I'd gotten my range officer certification. And this guy's handing me a timer telling me to run a squad at Nationals. But he did it. And it turned out to honestly be not that big of a deal. And that kind of got me started with more of the volunteering side of matches. I, I'd volunteered to work the state match that same year. And then, you know, running the timer at club matches because all of a sudden I was actually one of the more qualified people in terms of having, you know, actually being a certified RO, having some practical experience running the timer under actual coaching, you know, not just, hey, here's the timer. I'm going to go load mags. Don't let anybody shoot themselves. But if I have to trace my shooting progression back to sort of one turning point, it would have been in the fall winter really November 2014 a couple months after going out to to Utah and working the nationals that Steve Anderson was in town teaching a, a two-day class and I was you know I managed to get a spot and 
it just opened my eyes to, you know, here's what dry fire is. Here's how you get better. Here's what the guys that are beating you are doing. And, you know, I I guess I kind of knew this stuff, but a lot of the guys that I shot with regularly were big match shooters. They didn't practice regularly, even though, you know, they had a range to shoot at. They, they wouldn't, you know, go and set up practices. They, you know, the, the, the match was their practice and they just kind of showed up and shot. And so that class, you know, November, 2014, I, I was actually, I remember feeling burned out, feeling like I wish the class would be in the spring or something. So I'd have more time before, you know, having to, to show up and keep shooting. Cause it was just, you know, I was at the end of the season. I wasn't feeling like I was making progress and, you know, just going to this class and, and beating my head against the wall just felt, you know, it, it didn't feel like it was going to be a good idea, but by unlocking the opportunity, you know, not just from his particular dry fire program, but the idea of dry fire, live fire, shooting groups, setting up drills, you know, abstract tiny pieces of stages to work on individual skills, you know, that, that just sort of unlocked everything for me. And, you know, from then on, it was dry fire schedule and actually practicing. And that's when I started going through the process to actually join a range and have a place to go live fire because I, you know, I always wanted to keep getting better, but I would switch guns and switch games because, you know, I, I sensed the stall, I sensed the plateau and, you know, just doing something that wasn't causing me to improve was, you know, it seemed obviously not a good idea. And so ever since then, it's just been a steady ratcheting up of practice schedule and intensity and trying to efficiently optimize practice around matches. I ended up making a class late in 2014, shortly after the class. And then, you know, 2015, I was really trying to balance, you know, working matches. I worked the state match again, which was a rainy mess and, you know, completely torpedoed my score and and really made an impression about, you know, the, the unfortunate choice of having to choose between really shooting your best and giving back to the sport. And then 2016, as we talked about on, on episode one, that was the year that I set the goal. At the time, I was close to master, but I was still A-class, and I set the goal to make GM by the end of the year. And like we talked about on episode one, I, I didn't end up making that goal. It wasn't until April of, of 2017 that I did that, but just slowly, slow, slowly grinding away. Dry fire a little more, live fire a little more, learn how to practice more efficiently, just keep getting a little bit better, keep going to a ma- going to matches and discovering deficiencies and working on them. And you know, honestly, I mean, that, that pretty much brings us to today where, you know, I've made GM, but that certainly hasn't been the end of, of this journey. You know, I feel like I've spent all this time just getting here, learning how to practice, learning how to, you know, have a good mindset and shoot matches well. And so in a weird way, I feel like, you know, all of this has been leading up to now to actually, this is where the, you know, the fun part really starts where I've been to nationals. I've got that experience. I've shot, you know, number of level twos. And so that, that isn't a scary experience anymore. And so I feel like it's been a very roundabout path to, to get here. And, you know, I'm certainly not the, the fastest guy to get from C-class to GM, but it is possible. I've done it. And I don't think that there's anything particularly standing in the way except ignorance. You know, I just, I didn't know about all this stuff of how to practice and, you know, the importance of live fire and, and fundamentally, you know, just the, the day that the light bulb went on that you, you can get better at matches without going to a match. And in fact, the best way to get better at shooting matches is not just shooting more matches. 
but you know that's that's the story of of how I got to here and I think it's it's important to talk about this stuff because for the people who haven't known me for six years that never knew me as the guy who you know I'd show up to an IDPA match with the the little blue trigger lock on my gun or you know, shot with a non-dropped-and-offset Kydex holster in USPSA production for way longer than than anybody else I knew. You know, for for people who would, who never knew that guy, for people who just know me as as the GM I am now, there's there's no magic. It's it's just hard work. It took years, and it didn't. You know, I didn't come out of the womb dry firing. I didn't even shoot a gun before I was 20 years old. But if there's one thing to to take away from that, it's that. I came in not expecting to be good. I didn't. I didn't have any preconceived notion about, you know, I, I should know how to shoot this gun. No, I, I knew that it was a tough, fiddly little thing that was hard to keep pointed straight at the center of the target while it was recoiling, and it's a, it's a tough skill to learn. But you got to learn it. You know, nobody's born doing this, and so I just came into it as as a novice and accepted that and and started learning and took a while, but here I am. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. You can follow me on Facebook at Ben Barry Shooting and Instagram at BS Barry, and my match videos are on YouTube at youtube.com slash USPSA. If you have a question that you'd like to get an answer to on the show or you just want to tell me something, email me at podcast at berryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.